1: If we're talking old lines in sport ever change a winning team You know, winning cures everything There's a couple of old uh, lines for you uh, Those are no longer relevant when it comes to the NBA And one team in particular, the Milwaukee Bucks Have made quite a startling move from this ignorant fool sort of perspective Humming along second in their conference Winning record of 30 wins, 13 losses That's basically 70% strike rate But you know what? They haven't uh, sat on their hands. They've made uh, quite a big uh, shift. They've sacked their rookie head coach to discuss. We are thrilled to welcome in Jake Fisher, senior NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports, also an author of Built to Lose, how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. Uh, Jake, I've got an idea. Welcome to the show for your follow-up book, uh, how the Milwaukee Bucks completely changed the NBA by sacking a winning coach. it, It doesn't roll off the tongue as nicely as yours, though.
0: It doesn't, no. It's, I know we really haven't seen anything like this since the Cavs fired David Blatt back in 2016 for Ty Lue. Okay. How, 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 Shock waves around the NBA, or were there signs
1: that this was a possibility?
0: No, I don't think that anyone paying close attention who had been listening to things around Milwaukee and had been on the ground in Las Vegas during the in season tournament was fully surprised by the stuff that was beneath the iceberg but the fact that it came up to the surface and they did make a change I do think that surprised some people now when you really take a step back and you look at this super closely this is a franchise that has championship expectations and they need to be in that realm of reality and they need to be confident that they'll have the coach and the roster to get there or else there's a, a still a fear and a tangible pressure that Giannis Antetokounmpo could be the next NBA superstar to ask for a trade. So when, when the stakes are that high and the clock is ticking that fast, it's not so surprising that they would do type, this type of move.
1: Wonderful mental imagery you've left me with about this massive iceberg. We all know a lot under the water, so let's try and get under the water and find out. Is, is it simply a disconnect between star player and coach? Can I can I drill it down to that rudimentary thought?
0: I think you know, with Adrian Griffin in particular, and, and Milwaukee, it, the Bucks were looking for a former player, certainly, and, and Giannis Antetokounmpo wanted someone who definitely had, had had been on that side of this business and had similar experiences. But I think the the task at hand of, of being a championship coach who has to maintain a lot of personalities between Damon Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez and Bobby Porters and figure out an offense and a defense that schematically amplified everyone's strengths but also worked better than what it did under Mike Budenholzer and came from a new voice. All of that together was just a a pretty big challenge and would have been for any first-time head coach.
1: Jake, um, my perspective is a pretty basic one. I look—I've looked at the standings on thirty and thirteen. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, but when you watch them closer, uh, than most—did they look like an unhappy side? Did they look like a poorly coached group? You know, was it impacting on the court? Is essentially what I'm asking.
0: I think, it, I think it was—it pre, was prevalent in what Giannis said in the post-game locker room and how Bobby Portis came out and spoke pretty loudly about things that needed to be done adjustments-wise after their loss in the in-season tournament. Like, there have been signs for sure. And if you watched on defense, you know, the, the Bucks are the worst transition defense in the league. They seem to be changing their strategy game-to-game, game, which isn't standard in the NBA. Like, like something right. particular as pick-and-rule defense. Most teams decide we they're going to play and drop, where our big men ha- hang back, or we're going to hedge high, and show our big men to, to stall a point guard's drive and most teams just stick to a, a standard Milwaukee did that on our Mike Budenholzer just to make things simple you're going all over the country year day after day playing game after game it's just hmm. easy to keep your general base defense standard or not switch things all the time like in theory yes that'd be more creative and inventive and effective but It's not exactly like what players want to do, and sometimes the best way to be effective as a coach is to do something that you might not be totally in line with, but you know is going to get your players bought in so you can do things that you want to do with them on the offensive side of things. So all that give and take is just pretty challenging and, and was a challenge specifically for Griff with those players buying into what he wanted to do
1: certainly does create sort of uh, an idea that there was uncertainty with the, with the inconsistent sort of uh, defensive schemes that are running out there and, and the coaches searching. H- how much does that to do with the roster, though? Does he have the cattle to um, be a better defensive side? I, I do wonder, like, Drew Holiday, who was their best defensive guard for a long time, is no longer on the roster. You know, do, do they have the sure. players to be, to be a good defensive team? or are the issues on how the team's constructed rather than the coach itself?
0: It's a great question, and I think that's something that the Bucs are looking at internally, where it's not just the drop-off from Drew Holiday to Damian Lillard, but Grayson Allen, who went out the door in that three-team trade with Portland and Phoenix, that brought Damian Lillard to Milwaukee. Now the drop-off from Allen to Malik Beasley has also been a challenge on the perimeter. And so that's why I reported today at Yahoo Sports that the Bucks are looking at what packages the number 35 pick in this draft that to be a high second-round pick. It could be viewed as the equivalent of a late first-rounder. What that pick and what Pat Hunt and the campaign can go out and accomplish for the Bucks on the trade market.
1: And that would simply be focused on defense, you would think?
0: That that seems to be the prioritization of what they're trying to do. The names I've heard have been Matisse Teibel and Alex Caruso, and Andrew Wiggins and Bruce Brown and DeJounte Murray, like those are all guys who strive and are pretty regarded as top-tier perimeter defensive players. Mm. Well, they, they they can go to
1: Chicago, my Chicago and get Alex Caruso if they're willing to mortgage the future, you know. I, I need something to, excited about in Chicago.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's a challenge. Like The Bulls want multiple first-round picks, and, and the Bucks are are pretty asset-strapped. Like, this number 35 pick campaign, Pat Connaughton, I'm not so certain it's going to be able to get them a ton back that, that they're hoping to explore and try to go out and acquire. It's not all that sexy. It's not like selling a Maserati, is it? It's like selling my Fiat Panda. <laughs> yeah, look, if a team wants to move a player, so therefore he'd be available for the Bucks to acquire him. There's clearly a reason why that player is on the block. If he if he was such a difference maker and such a game changer, you know, typically those players are not available for the taking.
1: Mm. How important is it for a franchise like Milwaukee to placate um, a star like Giannis Antetokounmpo? I've just spat out my coffee while you were answering the last question because I've just seen his stat line for the year: 31 points, 11 rebounds, six assists. He's a mega star. And with all due respect to Milwaukee, it's Milwaukee, right? they're not going to attract much in mm-hmm. free agency. So in a lot of ways, they've kind of got to operate different to, to big market sides.
0: Of course. And that's something Milwaukee's aware of. That's why they went out and traded for Drew Holiday and then traded Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard and fired Mike and Holder after the first round exit. And they're being aggressive now with Adrian Griffin. And it's why, it's why teams tank. It's It's what we talked about in my book. It's, the greatest way for any market, whether you're in New York, Miami, or if you're in Oklahoma City or Milwaukee, the most direct path to getting championship caliber players is through the draft. Pretty typically they're, they're selected in the top five, not exactly where Giannis went, but if Giannis was more developed, if he was more on the scene, if he was in a real pro program, there's no way he wouldn't have gone in the top five of a of draft class, and I think it's once you actually get your hands on a player like that, it, it just dramatically changes every goal and every ultimate context of what your team building is. You're doing what you can to win and optimize that player while you still have him.
1: Well, let's show better transition defense than the Bucs and transition to another topic. The team just below them in the seventy sixes. ers Joelle Embiid stuffed 70 points on the Spurs the other day, uh, 29 and 13. Um, as currently constituted, can they win it all? Or do they need to be active in the next couple of weeks?
0: I think so. I think they have a pretty close gap between Boston still ahead of them. But one player, you know, one backup guard that the Sixers are definitely looking at. They've got some salary with Nick, uh, excuse me, with Robert Covington and Marcus Morris Sr. They can go out and exchange for some more reinforcements. But I do think with Joel Embiid being... Arguably the best player on the floor in any game, being that he is the reigning MVP, and he seems well on his way to backing that up with the second consecutive win. You know, Tyrese Maxey playing at an All-Star level, Tobias Harris is still a very reliable player. Patrick Bevler has actually put together a really strong season, and I think he's like the benchmark and the barometer of how good of a backup one guard the Sixers would need to go out and acquire. So. I think there's plenty of opportunity for them to get better, but if they don't, if they hold pat, because there is value to them keeping their assets and getting into free agency with some cap room, with some trade opportunities and whatnot, I still think they have as good a chance as anyone to get out of the East if Joel Embiid's healthy. Is Joel Embiid
1: the best player on the planet? Just to dig a little bit deeper on that point.
0: I think he's got as good an argument as anybody. Me, personally, I... Watched Nicole Jokic in the playoffs last year and (laughs) it was so easy for him to just get wherever he wanted to on the floor versus Philly. It was like pulling teeth to get Embiid the ball in different spots. But, you know, Doc Rivers is supposed to be the next coach in Milwaukee now. Maybe that was just the coaching situation in Philadelphia. I mean, clearly Embiid has found out every possible way to score in bunches this season, the 70 point game gets the the real exclamation point, but he had that long streak of 30 and 10. He scored 40 multiple times. His 52 points up on the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think, was even more impressive than what uh, he did against San Antonio in a very porous defense. So perhaps with him put in position with Nick Nurse, I, I think Joel Embiid's got as good an argument as he's ever had.
1: Jake, I'll get you out on some quick-fire questions about the trade deadline. uh, Thursday, February 8th, I think, uh, US time. Um, Who's the biggest name out there who might be available?
0: The next biggest name is definitely DeJounte Murray. We've heard a lot about Kyle Kuzma, but I think he's the biggest name that has the greatest realistic chance of being moved right now.
1: Right. How likely is that? And who's the most obvious... Uh, contender yeah, with, with yeah. the assets to get a player of that talent.
0: He's definitely available. I think he will be, will be moved. I think right now the best team or the team that's put the best offer, the best overtures out there for him has been the Los Angeles Lakers with a 2029 first-round pick and a pick swap as well. So if it's not the Lakers, that means someone has come in and given Atlanta more value than what that package is.
1: Is it a size or sellers or buyers market? Like like with the play in now, uh, into the past, is that taken a lot of potential sellers out of the equation?
0: I think absolutely. And it's definitely more of a seller's market than it's ever been before, where there is some people who are confident around Charlotte that the Hornets could be able to get something of value for thirty million dollar expiring salaries for Kyle Lowry and Gordon Hayward just because not only the playing tournament, but the new CBA prevents teams over the luxury tax from acquiring players via buyout who their previous salary was above the mid-level exception at around $12 million. So right. there's going to be plenty of teams who are looking to actually acquire these guys now as opposed to waiting to get them on the open buyout as a free agent. But we'll see if that comes to fruition. So there are teams that uh, – are, are are in clear good position to, to be sellers like San Antonio with Doug McDermott and Chetty Osman and Devontae Graham and I think Washington with Tyus Jones and Delon Wright and Daniel Gafford. Like those names I mean Atlanta, Atlanta's trying to capitalize on DeJounte Murray right now and and get back good value for him because there really aren't that many sellers in this market. Jake, thank you for the time. Thank you for the knowledge. Really fascinating
1: time uh, with that news out of Milwaukee, and you've got a busy couple of weeks ahead with the, uh, the deadline approaching. Thanks for, for dropping by.
0: You got it. Thanks for having me.